Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Another podcast. We get Harvey Hyde on Monday. We're going to talk with Coach, not Coach Harvey Hyde. We're going to talk with Dan Weber, USFootball.com, beat writer and columnist today. It's breaking news this morning. We're going to talk about the huge apparel deal that UCLA signed with Under Armour. We're going to talk about that. We have some questions about the USC football team. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email, podcast at USCfootball.com, or you can leave us a voicemail couple different ways. We got the voicemail line working again. I know that the uh, outgoing message was not working, so it's working now. 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer, your tablet, even your phone. From your from your browser on your phone, you can do that too. Uh, so a lot of different ways to get a hold of us. You can also go to itunes.com slash peristylepodcast if you want to subscribe to the show on iTunes, which you can get the show delivered directly to your device. So lots of different ways to consume the show. We hope you enjoy it, and we really appreciate all you listening, even through the the kind of slow time as the off season. But there was some big news today. We're going to talk about that, Dan. And but want to check in with you first, Dan. What's going on? How are you? Well, uh, I guess uh, I was writing the other day that college football is starting to uh, you know approach the. Uh, the marketability and the newsworthiness of the NFL, where you're basically a 12-month-a-year deal now. And, uh, you know, they may not be working out right now, but college football isn't taking any time off. I mean, you know, not only did you have the UCLA deal today, you had the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors you know, meeting in Northern California and, uh, you know, coming up with some, uh, you know, changes for the league and uh, that people are probably going to be interested in as well. So, uh you know, a day doesn't go by when, uh, you know, something's not happening. I know they're, uh, I think the, the coaches tour starts, uh, uh, this week, uh, the Trojan huddle in, uh, I guess La Jolla and Newport Beach and be back at the Galen Center next week. So there, there's just a lot of stuff going on. There certainly is a lot going on. And we want to talk about those subjects and, uh, also some questions that people sent in. And we did get a question from our friend Casey. Uh, So this is regards to, so if you didn't hear yet, UCLA signed a 15-year, $280 million apparel deal with Under Armour. They were previously with Adidas, and I think John Wilner uh, from the San Jose Mercury News was tweeting out that they were kind of going back and forth. The Adidas deal wasn't all that great, um, but they wanted to stay with Adidas, and, you know, I don't know how that, you know, that ended up happening, but, you know, Under Armour wanted to get into Los Angeles in the Los Angeles market. Uh, get on the West Coast. Uh, Kevin Plank, the the founder of Under Armour, was on with Colin Coward this morning. I watched a little bit of that, talking about you know getting into this market. They probably, you know, paid a, they paid a lot of money. Obviously, they're the it's the highest grossing uh, apparel deal in college football history. So there's that. Um, and then Casey wrote in and said, "What type of impact will this new Under Armour UCLA deal have on USC and the Pac-12?" And what type what type of changes do you see or would you like to see coming out of Heritage Hall with our various partners? What do you mean? Change? 
Wait a minute. Did somebody <laughs> use the word chain and Heritage Hall in the same sentence? I'm sorry. Shame on you, Casey. Hello? <laughs> Casey, what planet are you living on? Come on. Uh, this is USC. Things don't change. No. Uh, what I think it ought to be is a wake-up call for how darn valuable. Uh, I mean, if somebody's willing to pay 280-some million dollars for uh, a UCLA program that, I mean, to be honest, has their basketball ever been worse? I mean, I guess one of those late Steve Lavin teams, but uh, and then the uh, the football team. Uh, wow! I mean, that's basically uh, Under Armour was buying L.A. I guess uh, you know, and UCLA just happened to be there and available. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, it's hard for me to see that you, you can justify that. But you know, it's not my money. But uh, how did it work out for uh, Adidas? Did that was that a good contract? Was that a good deal for Adidas? They, did they do anything? You know, I mean, people were still. I don't know which which people didn't like more when U.S. when UCLA showed up in the white uniforms or when they showed up in the black uniforms. Uh, what would they call that? Midnight blue or something? You know, I mean, and that, that's the problem. If you're going to take a team like UCLA and you're Under Armour and you say, "Wow, we're going to make a really big." Splash here. Well, how do you do that? I mean, UCLA, you know, like USC, like Notre Dame, like uh, Alabama, like a, a, a lot of, of the really great programs in, in this country, he has a look. Like he has kind of an iconic, you know, a lot of USC fans won't like it, but that baby blue and, uh, you know, gold look is, uh, you know, it's their own look and it's, you know, one of a kind look and, and very recognizable. So if you're under armor, you change that. You know, if you don't change it, how much do you really get out of it? Uh, so uh, I'm not sure I see it unless you know they basically said we, we want to be on the West Coast. We want to have a you know somebody in Los Angeles, and we're willing to pay for it. Um, I mean, the thing that would bother me, I think, a little bit is I don't think the Under Armour quality, uh, especially in the footwear. Uh, you know, equals say you know what Nike does, but you got to give them credit. I think they're, uh, I think they've got Jordan Spieth in golf. Uh, they've got Stephen Curry in basketball. You know, so I think they've got uh, oh, what's his name, Washington's uh, Harper, uh, Bryce Harper, yeah, yeah, right. And so Bryce Harper, they've got, they went after you know they went after the big names individually, team wise. They got Notre Dame, I guess, uh, a couple of years back. From Adidas, but uh, I, I'm not sure. They went the after, they went after Kevin Durant that, too, pretty hard. They they tried to get him, but that was a uh, it was a huge contract that they reported were going after him, but they, he didn't. He ended up sticking with Nike. Who was that? I'm sorry, Kevin Durant. Oh right, right, yes. Mm-hmm. So what it ought to probably tell people is uh, stay on top of things, make sure you know. Did USC need to have an F, some sort of escalator clause where, you know, the UCLA doesn't ever, you know, get paid more than, you know, than us? Or if they get, you know, one of these big deals in the later years of a USC-Nike deal that USC uh, matches it or gets within 10% of it or whatever. I mean, you would, you would like to think that those kinds of uh, possibilities are, are going to be started to be built into contracts so that, you know, 
uh, Larry Scott, who was the great genius in, uh, you know, five years ago when they, uh, you know, the, the timing was perfect for the uh, new uh, television contract for the Pac-12. Now doesn't look so smart, you know, that they're down at number four uh, and, you know, just trying to, you know, keep their heads above water. So uh, uh, I just think that's the message for the Pac-12 and for USC is, is be aware of what your brand is worth in every area, you know, and, and, and maybe you look at the rest of the Pac-12 and you say, you know, is it a, a smart thing or a good thing for USC and UCLA maybe to be getting the same exact split of, uh, you know, of the TV deal as Oregon State and Washington State are getting? Or uh, is uh, is it is it a kind of a TV deal that you ought to be involved in in any way when UCLA can get 18 times more a year for their shoe contract than they're getting from the Pac-12 network? I mean, that's just crazy, you know, and, and I, I, you would think there'd be some pressure now on the Pac-12 network to really start producing, uh, you know, when there are these kinds of dollars available in uh, college sports and, you know, the Pac-12 is not really benefiting from them at all. So, but, you know, I think there's a lot of, I think you can take this, and if you're a USC fan, you can say, ah, hate to see UCLA, you know, getting the lucky break here. But, uh, but I think you got to use it and say, you know, what, what can it be, what can be done to make USC stay competitive in this area? And uh, I think that will be determined here in the near future as to, how does USC stay really competitive, uh, you know, with, with what UCLA just did? And for what, so just to let people know, from my understanding, we don't know what the USC deal, how much it's worth, but talking to a source earlier today, I was told basically USC, when they signed in the 2012-2013 season, my, there's a guy from USC that told me that, but USC source, but said that it was the number two uh, apparel deal in the country only behind Florida State, who had just won the national title. And I believe they just had re-upped their contract. So they just won the national title, got had a big deal at the time, and then USC at the time had the second biggest deal, from what I was told. So um, there's still four years left on this deal, though. So uh, you know, and, and I think fairly soon thereafter, Michigan got a giant deal. Ohio State got a giant deal. Uh, I, I think uh, Alabama probably doesn't get as – I mean, I remember – doing some research and Alabama surprisingly didn't get as big a deal as, as you might have expected. But I know Texas and uh, Texas and Michigan and Ohio state all came through after that latest USC deal with really, you know, big kind of blockbuster type deals. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, again, timing is, is everything and you can be the last one under the kind of the old way they were doing those contracts. And now you're, you know, you're looking at everybody else and say, man, if only our contract were coming up now. I mean, UCLA clearly was just lucky as heck that their contract was up and that they had yeah. Adidas didn't want to give them up. And Under Armour, you know, Adidas has lost some contracts recently and they felt like we can't lose this. And Under Armour said, you know, we want to get in there. So, uh, you know, a lot of times it's nothing you're doing. You're just sitting there watching two other guys fight it out to, you know, pay you the money. It's kind of like Comiskey Park in Chicago. They were the last big, ugly stadium to be built, and then Camden Yards built right afterwards, and they're instantly 
out of date. So oh, that's uh, exactly right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I covered games in both places, and people wouldn't even go up into the second deck at Comiskey. You know, they said, "Oh, you're going to get." You know, they had such negativity about you know Comiskey Park that uh, you're, those are exactly that's a perfect, perfect uh, you know context for this because uh, you know everything went toward Camden. It's probably. Comiskey wasn't as bad as everybody said, but it uh, there was no way you could you could convince anybody. Yeah, well, I mean, Camden Yards and PNC, all the all the new parks after that were like the cool retro kind of ones. That's what was in style. So they just were, unfortunately for the those White Sox fans, are out of style pretty much as soon as it was built. Um, let's talk about the Pac-12, Dan, because the you know there was a, a release today. Um, Pac-12 Network's going to be doing some esports, so that's kind of interesting. I don't really know much about that. Uh, there, you know, there, you know, different fines for like if you storm the field or storm the court. But the big thing really is the night football games. They're going to try to limit those. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, if you have thoughts on the other rules too, but mainly the night football thing is what really is going to affect the USC fans the most. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I it's not as absolutely clear. It looks like what they did was they got Fox and ESPN to ease off on there are some contract restrictions uh, of, of not having games running opposite uh, the Fox and the ESPN game. And I know Larry Scott said, well, if you want to get rid of that, uh, we're going to lose some money here. I get the sense that maybe they got Fox and ESPN to ease up on that as contract restrictions for uh, competing games at the earlier time uh, without losing money, maybe. That's the kind of tell you exactly, but it means that you'll uh, there will be less of the late night games on the Pac-12 network, for example, uh, where they would put you if you were, you know, drew the short straw and had to play on the Pac-12 network. And, you know, they 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 couldn't have you directly competing with the games on Pac or on ESPN and Fox. So I think there that will mean there will be fewer games starting after 7 p.m. on the West Coast, which is always a good thing, you would think. Uh, as far as uh, storming the field, to be honest with you, I mean, I think it's great, especially in basketball. Uh, those became, you know, too, maybe almost too regular, uh, maybe not so much in the Pac-12, but, uh, but around the country. And I think you can, you can stop those more. I don't know what you do. I think, to be honest, if you remember the Stanford game from three years ago, I just let them go and pay the, I think the first time it's $25,000 fine, the next 50, and I think maybe you jump to 100000 on the third time it happens or whatever. But uh, I, I was amazed. I would say that one was, you know, nobody got hurt. I mean, I will say this, uh, uh, a couple of years ago that Boston College, when they stormed the field, there were more, you know, there were a lot of drunken kids that were running into people, and, and that was pretty dangerous, I thought, and uh, handled pretty badly by by Boston College. So, uh, otherwise, uh, you know, I thought that the Pac-12 presidents he had to come out with something uh, because they've been getting hammered for all the late-night games and all the, you know, sense of uh, student-athletes don't matter. Uh, you're just going to run the games whenever you can to get whatever dollars you can get for them. And, and you knew they had to do something. And, uh, and again, I don't know if that's a little bit of a shot at Larry Scott because he was kind of poo-pooing 
the criticism and, and you know arguing against the criticism by saying well well we're gonna have to you know if you want this money from the tv companies you know you're gonna have to you know put up with you know some of these games and it looks like that's not what the president said that they kind of looks like they said get it done uh with the networks and 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 they and they did although the details aren't that clear. I mean, no. they said, well, there may be four of those, four fewer of those games. But uh, I think we'll know more when we see in practice exactly how this is going to work out when the schedules come out. And uh, that's when we'll know what it really means, if it means what, you know, they're saying it means. You know, it's kind of funny, Dan, when you think about it, like if, if he had to go back to the networks and tell ESPN or Fox, Hey, we might have to put the uh, you know Oregon State Washington State game on opposite uh, Stanford and Oregon on the Pac-12 network. I mean, I wouldn't even. I, I don't think it would matter. I mean, just as far as ratings go with the Pac-12 network, it's just so small. It's probably yeah, that that's probably something that worked in the Pac-12's favor. That if it was a network that right. was thriving, <laughs> they couldn't do it. But because it's such a, a small you know small rating, I don't think yeah. the networks are like, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, we'll take a hit in uh, Metropolitan Corvallis, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, maybe in Bend, Oregon, or something like that. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think they could probably finesse that without getting getting hit too hard. Because if you're on the late night game on the Pac-12 network, you're probably not a real big game. Just yeah. a thought, you know. Yeah, I mean, just the ratings are so small. I just don't think it's gonna. It, it, it would affect the ESPNs or the Foxes of the world, but, you know, we'll see. Well, hopefully, I mean, the rating, and this is the crazy thing, there are no ratings. No one has ever discovered ratings for the Pac-12 network. We're not even sure if it's rated. Uh, <laughs> nobody, I mean, you know, is it, is it closely held, you know, proprietary information that only the Pac-12 knows? I don't know. And how are those ratings going to be? They keep telling us that just as they did with the uh, Pac-12 basketball tournament, that you're only going to your cable company is only going to get the games from your from teams in your area. So, if um, you know if you want to watch the Pac-12 and watch a, a live game, it's going to have to be USC or UCLA, uh, and and that was one of the advantages of watching the Pac-12 networks on Saturday is you could watch teams from you know. Not out of out of L.A., not the Southern California teams, especially if one of those teams was the team you're going to be playing in the in the fairly near future, and that's not going to be possible now unless that team's playing you you know UCLA or whatever. So um, so I can't imagine the ratings such as they are if they exist are going to go up. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. All right, uh, let's get to some questions, Dan. This is uh, from Rodney. He says, what's going on, boys? Thanks for making the show possible. It keeps a soldier like me stationed abroad, informed on my team that I love, third to Jesus, my Savior, and my wife and kids. So, again, thank you, Coach Dan Weber, for keeping this thing going. Uh, my question is this, though. With all the talk about USC's depleted defense and the quarterback job up in the air, how ready do you think these boys will be to play Bama and go through the season competitive? And do you think... Uh, that we will be better off with Sam Darnold or Max Brown. Thanks for everything, and fight on. Rodney Strong uh, from San Diego, but he's at Fort Lewis, Washington right now. Thanks for your service, Rodney. 
Hey, Rodney, thank you for your service. Uh, well, at least it's nice that they kept you in, uh, in, uh, in Pac-12 country, although, unfortunately, if you're watching the Pac-12 network, you won't be able to see USC unless they're playing one of the Washington teams. But I digress. Uh, as far as uh, being ready, you know what? I think neither team is going to be especially ready. I think it's the opener. But, uh, you know, we've seen games in the past where, you know, uh, the USC opened at Auburn that year. And, you know, no way they're young and they've got a quarterback. Who knows? And this minor kid can, you know, what's he going to do? And uh, Auburn had all those guys who went on to really good NFL careers. And some people were picking them as the number one team in the country. And, you know, USC what it was 23 to nothing shut out and they just played faster than Auburn could play. I mean, the thing I would hope to see is that USC's defense can play faster maybe than Alabama can be than the speed Alabama can be at in that opener. And, and, you know, they lose their really good all America center. Uh, they lose their quarterback. They lose their top two running backs and they lose now maybe both starting tackles that they had anticipated would be starting for that game. So I'm not sure that Alabama offensively is going to be a fast starting team in that game. So I think you could create a scenario where USC could play fast enough on defense and, and, and playing the aggressive attacking defense that, that, that Clancy favors and, and, and Alabama not really knowing you know, they didn't give anything away in the spring game, and, and they're really not going to maybe have a chance to see exactly where the stunts are coming from and, and who and do and what and how and all that. So I think USC's got a chance to, to be at least as ready. I mean, I think they probably got to be more ready than Alabama, but they've got a more of a veteran team. Uh, you know, obviously the quarterback has to step up and play like, He's ready to play. I think USC's quarterback will be better prepared to play in that game than Alabama's quarterback. So, so that's a plus. Uh, one would think, you know, that Max Brown has the advantage. And I think it's maybe been misplayed in terms of reading how they came out of the spring. That wasn't a knock on Max Brown at all. I thought he had exactly the spring that everybody could have hoped for, uh, with his, you know, it was his fourth spring and coming in here, you know, when he did after high school as the number one, you know, pro quarterback and the, you know, prospect in the country. I think it was more just a, a recognition of, of Sam Darnold just had a sensational spring. And um, that gives you two quarterbacks that you've got a chance with. Uh, one would think that Max would, would have the edge. Uh, but, uh, you know, I like the fact that they're going to keep competing. And I thought what was really smart in terms of doing uh, and not naming the quarterback in recognition of the, the spring that Sam had was that it was a recognition of that competition matters. And if you come out and compete as hard as, and as well as Sam Darnold did, you've got a chance. And I think that's a message that this, the whole team, the whole program has needed, that competition you know it was hard to to do it all the way through the sanctions period and the numbers down and all that but i i think sending that message to everybody all the young players that competition matters and you're going to be rewarded you know from competing well and practicing well i think that just helps the whole program and, and it was the key i know you know pete talked a lot about it 
but it really was a, a big part of, of the success, uh, you know, during Pete Carroll's time, uh, that ability, uh, you know, where kids competed and practiced every day. And uh, so, so I'd go with Max, you know, at this point in time, but we haven't seen, you know, the summer workouts. We haven't seen August. So uh, let's see what happens. Let's keep it on that same uh, subject line, Dan. We have uh, Neil from Manila, who's actually in Los Angeles right now on vacation. So uh, long trip for Neil, but welcome to L.A. He says, what are the holes that Max Brown needs to fill with his game other than getting his feet wet as a starter? Yeah, I don't I don't think there are any. I mean, he's not a natural runner. And this is an offense that, you know, as hard as it is for people to believe, they do encourage the quarterback if uh, – you know, they want to take what, you, what you're given. And if they're going to give that quarterback, uh, you know, those three or four yards, they'll take it. And so, uh, I mean, I think he's more of a natural, you know, take it and go with it and get the yards than, say, Cody was uh, but, uh, or that Barkley was. But uh, uh, I think maybe that, that one part of it there uh, would be the – of all the things, I think that would be – you know, the thing that I'd, I'd look at and say, you know, I'd like to like to see him there. But otherwise, you know, I think he's, he's smart, he's competent, he doesn't get flustered, uh, throws the deep ball, I think, really well. I mean, I like the fact that if they're really, you know, going to run the ball and run it physically and run it hard and uh, run it when they know the other team knows you're going to run it, that really sets up the play action pass. And I, I, I think that's, you know, that's, you know, right down his alley. So um, I, I think, you know, just in general, I think he's got all the, you know, all the skill sets that you need somebody to have. All right. Uh, let's go on to Tarek, Dan. He says, based on the skill players USC has, do you see them being a run first, pass first, or team that is a mix with no particular formula? I think I like it that they're going to be a mix. I think they're going to take what you give them and, and not in a way that it's like, who are we or, or who are we about? No, I think it's more the case where they go up and say, whatever you want, we can do. And if you want to, you know, take away this, a lot of teams in the Pac-12 over the last few years have figured out what they could take away and how they could take it away. And, and USC didn't have the answers they you know by not throwing the ball to the tight ends for example or figuring you got to keep them in the block because you didn't trust uh, your offensive line or you know maybe you didn't want to you know take chances and throw the ball down the middle or deep middle uh teams didn't have to defend the whole field i think the the, the thing i like about it i like the fact that they're running the ball right up the gut that you know they didn't really ever run that you know, center guard gap much. Uh, and you're seeing that much more. So I think they're, you know, they're going to attack you. Basically, you're going to have to defend everywhere. And I think that is just going to open things up. And I think they're willing, their willingness to just take, take what you give them and, and get that really quick read, quick look and what's available. And that way you don't have to just throw the ball to Juju or you don't have to just run, you know, the outside stretch play or whatever. Uh, you just, you know, say, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take what you give us. And I like the fact that I didn't get the sense in the spring 
that their form that formationally they were given away what they were going to do. I thought, you know, they played two and sometimes three tight ends and, and offset them in different places that we haven't seen. And they'd run both of them into the same area uh, on pass patterns and, and, and things that we just haven't seen. And it looked like, you know, that they didn't have much trouble uh, running that stuff, that they just looked comfortable running it. And, you know, so I like that. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, that's uh, – I don't think you're going to be able to say this is a run first team. I think, though, Clay wants it to be a run last team. He wants it to be a team in the last quarter that they can just run the ball and pound it and pound it and pound it. And uh, I like that a lot because you can't do that unless you're a physical team that executes. And uh, I know they want to be able to be the team that you've got the lead, you're protecting it, they know you're going to run it, and you just keep running it. And they, you know, they did that a few times. Uh, you know, UCLA, they did it, and Colorado, they did it, and I think, uh, I guess Cal, they did it, and uh, now you have to be able to do it against Stanford and uh, and Alabama, people like that, Utah. Uh, well, they did it against Utah too, uh, but but I think that's the model is to be more of a, a run last team. All right, uh, we got a couple more for you, Dan. We'll let you go. Our Gene, our buddy Gene and Altadina. Said, I have a, a facilities question for Dan. As I recall, when Brian Kennedy Field was being renovated last year, Dan mentioned the long-term plan was to expand it to 100 yards once they figured out the space issue. Is this still on track for the near future? Also, regarding the north end of Howard Jones, is anything being planned to finish the wall that is shared with the swim stadium? Looks like they partially installed brick in the northeast corner, but the majority of the exposed gray that runs along the rest of it looks really tacky. Thanks, Gene and Altadena. Very good observation, Gene. I mean, I was told that they were going to finish that brick uh, facade so that, you know, you had more of a, the brick look that you see on campus, uh, uh, you know, kind of reddish brick, and I don't know what the exact term is for it, but uh, that it was supposed to be, you know, to match it. But, you know, there's the last we've seen it, they didn't ever get around to that. I'll, I'll find out. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, that was the original plan on Howard Jones was to be able to extend it. Uh, and I don't know if they're being impacted by the construction and the building next door, which is really, you know, going like crazy. I mean, uh, used to be, you could see the field from the parking lot. I'm not sure you can see, uh, Howard Jones much from the parking lot now with the uh, the height that 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 under construction building is is uh, you know I think they were you know four or five stories the last time I saw them so uh, uh, and I don't know if they have to wait till that building is finished before they can extend Howard Jones out that at, out that direction or not uh, the next time we're on campus we'll find out those are good questions and uh, we'll uh, we'll keep asking them on. Uh, you keep asking us because uh, they probably need to get both of those things done. All right. We got one last one from Bob, Dan, and we'll definitely check on that. Gene, uh, what's going on there with the field? He says, hey, Ryan, uh, we are seeing more and more football players doing double duty on the track team. However, it seems like the women's track team uh, has plenty of athletes, including the cross-country runners. Why isn't USC lobby- lobbying the NCAA, along with other private schools, to get the number of scholarships in spring sports increased? If we had five more scholarships in track and baseball, as well as men's cross-country team, 
we would be in much better shape to compete uh, for spring championships. I agree with Dan about women's softball, but we also need men cross country and men's soccer. Thanks for getting Trojan fans needed information. Uh, Dan from the class of 1962. Oh, and there was, um, there was someone wrote in too. Uh, our friend Bob wrote in. He wanted to clear up a question that was on the podcast from before. He said the scholarships are quote unquote athletic grants and aid are lumped together by the NCAA for all three related sports, cross country, indoor track, and outdoor track. Men get a maximum of 12.6 and women get a maximum of 18 equivalent full rides. Uh, it's interesting that the men used to get 14, but that was cut back by 10% during the Title IX uh, argument heyday. So um, there's not a lot of track scholarships, especially on the men's side. There's fewer. But Bob wrote in to try to clarify that. Yeah, it makes it really hard to have, you know, cross country that matters uh, when you're down to 12.6. I mean, you just don't have the numbers, uh, you know, remotely. And if you recruit, you know, some of the big-time you know, big time jumpers and runners, uh, you've got to give them a full ride, which just leaves you so, uh, you know, you just don't have any depth at all and you don't have events where you can compete in. It's why, you know, USC is significantly better track program than UCLA right now on, on both sides, but it's really hard just because of the numbers and all the events where, you know, kids can walk on at UCLA where they can divide up the scholarships and uh, they just have so much more to, you know, to go around than, 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 than at USC. Um, yeah, I think it would be a great idea if, uh, I mean, one of the problems is with the private schools, a school like Stanford where basically they have enough endowments so that if your family makes less than a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're basically on scholarship. So they can get a lot of kids in there who, uh, you know, qualifies because, you know, the whole school qualifies for that aid. Uh, so it's not, you know, considered an athletic grant. So I don't know if you could get Stanford, for example, to go along with you. Could you get Notre Dame? I mean, it's, I'm looking around the country and thinking, what do you got? Notre Dame and uh, Syracuse and uh, uh, in terms of, you know, the big football programs, uh, Northwestern, Vanderbilt, uh, Tulane. Uh, there aren't a lot of, you know, programs that, that it's not the numbers. They just don't have the numbers probably to have the clout that you'd like to have at the NCAA. And, and the private schools, you know, don't matter that much to the NCAA, to be honest with you, which is one of the reasons I was rooting like crazy for Villanova and the basketball championships, because you do like to see, you know, the private schools figure out a way to, to, uh, uh to compete. But, uh, but I, yeah, I think that would be a really great thing for, you know, and, and if USC just has to do it on their own and just to, you know, to, to go public and try to convince that um, if you wanted to um, give more scholarships. Well, I mean, I just think to ask ba baseball, for example, to go with whatever that number is, 12 or 13, is crazy. I mean, there's no possible way. I mean, you have almost that many pitchers. And when they're playing 60 games, uh, you couldn't survive, you know, without, uh, you know, that's just, it's just not, uh, it's not feasible. And it makes it so, such an advantage, you know, for the public schools who, you know, where the tuition is half or less than, than USC to, uh, you know, to just, you know, it's just almost too big of an advantage. And, 
I'm sure there are people, you know, smart people could come up with some sort of formula that maybe, you know, for a private school <clears throat> that would, to some extent, equalize the scholarship numbers because, you know, 12 or 13 full scholarships in a sport at USC doesn't equal 12 or 13 full scholarships in a, a sport at UCLA. And, and so um, uh, I'd love to see them do that. It would be the right thing and the fair thing to do, and, and it would be a great thing for USC to kind of get that, you know, get that ball rolling. And I know it's hard for people that look at USC and see their success in, you know, golf and tennis and water polo and all these sports and say, oh, you don't need any help, you know. But there are a couple of sports, uh, baseball and track come to mind, where it really would, you know, it'd be a fair thing to do if you could, you know, if you could make that happen. And, I, you know, and we've talked to Pat Hayden about the expansion of sports and stuff and getting softball. I think we mentioned this before. Even if they changed the rules and they allowed more scholarships and USC could get a men's soccer team or what, I mean, you know, cross country, all that stuff. I don't think USC would be doing that. It's just hard to add a sport because of all the extra you know, revenue requirements, uh, you know, all the expenses, you know, that they, they don't bring in revenue. There's extra expenses by bringing in a new sport. And uh, that seemed to be the biggest issue with USC not adding softball. Yeah. And there, were, and there are people who came up with a number the other year, I guess it was 2014, uh, a salary number for three people at USC that was over $9 million and thought, wow, you know, if you weren't paying that $9 million, you could probably <laughs> start a few more sports. <coughs> Not, so, uh, <laughs> or if you signed an $18 million a year shoe and apparel contract, uh, but no second guessing here. Um, no. but yeah, I mean, USC's been a program where, you know, you think, well, you know, they've got the money they could do. And unfortunately, they've had the money, a lot of it tied up in salaries. And uh, you'd like to see, I mean, to me, I just think it's a crime that USC doesn't have women's softball, whatever it would take to get a women's softball program uh, at USC. They, they have to do it. They just, they can't not do it. I mean, they're just, uh, you could be, you know, the, the wonderful thing about women's softball is they're not looking like in baseball. Those kids in baseball, every one of them that goes to college and plays baseball thinks they're going to the major leagues. That's not the case with women's softball. There's, uh, you know, those athletes want to go to a place where they're going to get a great education. And if you could keep, you know, the Southern California kids that basically – the entire SEC looks like it's made up of, uh, you know, California players. And uh, if you could keep those the best ones at home, I mean, you would be instantaneously competitive nationally in, you know, women's softball. And it just seems like that needs to be a little bit higher on the priority list. I know they went for women's lacrosse because it was an East Coast sport and it felt like that would get them, you know, some exposure. But I, I just think they ought to, you know, concentrate the next step they take, concentrate on on, on California, Southern California, and the, the great softball athletes that are here and, and figure out a way to get it done, a place to, make, you know, to play. And uh, maybe when you don't have, you know, more than $3 million a year tied up in an athletic director and you're past paying off 
you know, the three three times ago football coach and the two times ago football coach, uh, you know, getting $7 million a year between them or whatever it was, uh, you'll be able to do that. And, uh, and, and you'll be able to start softball. Uh, anyway, that'd be, uh, that'd be my goal for USC. All right, Dan, great stuff. Glad we could come on uh, a lot of news, even during this uh, kind of slow time. So it's great to get your, your thoughts on all that. And we uh, look forward to seeing you out there at the summer workout soon. Can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be, uh, that'll be fun. Uh, it's always great to see the, uh, the, the freshmen that you haven't really seen in person. Uh, and you guys, you know, get to see it more than we do. But, uh, for us, uh, that first time you get to see them, uh, it's, that's, that's fun. Uh, and just see how, how it all goes together. And, uh, we know this, they'll have a lot of guys to throw the ball to. Yeah. There'll be plenty of receivers out there. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Hope you guys all enjoyed the Parasol podcast. Uh, we might even sneak one more in. We might try to do a uh, recruiting one at the end of the week. But we got two down so far, so we'll try to do one later on the week uh, with Gerard Martinez. So if you want have any recruiting questions, you can send those in. We just came back from the uh, Nike camp up in Oakland. So any questions about the USC prospects we saw up there, we'll start putting videos up there on uscfootball.com as well. But hope you guys yeah, enjoyed the show. Yeah, let me ask you this question. Am oh, sure. I mistaken, or is there like – Ten times more recruiting information and and an explosion of recruiting activity. That's again twelve months a year and times of the year when you didn't see it and now you're seeing it. I mean, are there more event? How many more events and activities are happening in recruiting than than were happening five years ago? Yeah, no, I think you're right there. There's a lot. There's more events. Um, the Nike camps have been around for a long time, so those have been like those are kind of established. But there's way more seven on seven. Um, contests and they have kind of the AAU style seven on seven where it's like all-star teams or different club teams. But now we're going to more high school teams too. So there's both of those. We're kind of more in the high school season um, right now and other people have their own camps. And now with the explosion of uh, college camps and the satellite camps, I mean, USC has a whole bunch of ones they're going to be involved in. Michigan's got a couple coming up here in Southern California. So we're, we're still trying to find out what the media access is. Like we could go, you know, we could apparently go to like the Michigan camp and maybe cover some kids that are going to be there. Um, so there's, there's a lot more stuff kind of going on. So you get to see these guys in, uh, usually in shorts and So let me, let me get this so. right. You might be able to go to the Michigan camp and cover it, but you might not be able to go to the USC camp and cover it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we no, we heard. Yeah, that's weird. Is that, is that a possibility? No, we so we could cover the camps last year, but the email we got from USC was that you're not allowed. Like compliance says, you can't take photos or whatever. But we could do I it mean, last well, year. I, I, just so for people to understand, you can cover the camp. You can't take any photos. You can't shoot any video, and you can't talk to anybody. Yeah, but you can cover the camp. <laughs> But I think I, we could do it last year. We can't do interviews on campus. And this is one of those things where NCAA rules are interpreted differently by different schools. And USC traditionally has been more conservative. But I, I know at places like Auburn, they'll even have interviews with prospects that are on campus set up through the sports information department like they're like they're a player on the team. Um, and at USC, like you can't even look at a prospect sideways or they're going to get mad at you. So. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I know that legalese can be really hard to read, but how one one school interprets a, a rule one way 
and another school like USC interprets it that differently. It just seems off to me. Uh, it does seem that way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> so it's different, but I, I, I'm going to bet that we can cover the like the Rising Stars camp and stuff. I think we'll be able to cover it the same way we did last year. That's just my guess. As of right now, that's not the case. Uh, I heard that the Michigan camps, you might have to cover from the stands. I'm not sure. There's all kind of different rules. This is all happening very fast. And I'm yeah. assuming next year they're going to try to rein it in a little bit. But because of that late ruling allowing satellite camps, it's just going to, it's like, you know, craziness off the reservation yeah. stuff. Camps all over the place. Um, we don't, we're finding out if it's going to be worth to cover them if the prospects are there, for one, that USC is interested in. And then two, if we actually have access. So we're still trying to figure all that out, but it makes for the summer a lot. It's going to be a lot more busy. I guess you could say, Dan, if we're, if we have full access to these camps, there's a lot of prospects and we can cover them. It's like, we're probably going to have to. Yeah. It's literally uh, the wild, wild west out there. (laughs) And, uh, and whether you can say, thank you, Jim Harbaugh, or, you know, damn you, Jim Harbaugh. I don't know which is, which is appropriate. Probably both for him. But uh, it is he changed the he changed the world uh, uh, in the last uh, month or so. Yeah, make a lot of changes, said Jim Harbaugh. Uh, all right, well, good stuff. But there are definitely a lot more stuff going on. So stay tuned to uscfootball.com because we'll have tons of coverage of all of that recruiting stuff and of course the team stuff once they start throwing it to the football around. But thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 